0: Infused living and labor. I like that terminology, infused. It seems like it's gotten a lot of uh, mileage here recently. Everything's infused with something and uh, taste or something, smell or something else. So we're going to talk about victory infused living and labor uh, today. And uh, what we have in Acts chapter 27, I hope you'll listen up. I think we all like to hear a good story. And in Acts chapter 27, we have probably one of the most extraordinary stories found within the pages of Scripture. Sometimes we think the best stories are in the Old Testament. Certainly many are. Great stories. Fantastic. Interesting. Neat stories. Miraculous stories. But there's some great ones in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 27 is such a story. In fact, I would say it's such a story that a Hollywood writer would be jealous of it. We pick up in the story with Paul. Paul is now on a ship. He is a prisoner of the Romans. He's being sent to Rome to stand before Caesar, the the premier the leader of the Roman Empire and as a Roman citizen he had that right and so he had asked for that so now he's on a ship he is traveling that way well the issue and the problem is that this was winter time and Paul had already gone to the centurion the head of the soldiers who was over all the prisoners and he said listen I don't think we should set sail we ought to abode the winter here and then head off well the centurion then went and talked to the master of the ship and those sailors and things and asking them what they should do they convinced him and Certainly, probably profit was behind it, financial gain. They convinced that centurion that, hey, we need to go ahead and set sail. So they did. And at first, everything seemed well. There was a nice south, uh, southern wind blowing. But then comes along a tempestuous wind. And you know it's tempestuous whenever it has a name. And this one does. It's Uroclodon. You'll see it in verse number 14 there. It's referred to a tempestuous wind. And things just go horrendously wrong in a hurry. This storm blows up, and those waves and everything else, and the ship is just tossed to and fro, literally ran to and from, and those, those waters, and boy, things are looking terrible in fact it was so terrible that for many days they did not see the sun and many nights they did not see the stars and in fact the the verse 20 tells us that you can see it there in the bible you can see it up here and when neither sun nor stars uh, in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us all hope that we should be saved was then taken away and that should be taken then taken away. All hope was gone. So let's put ourselves in the story right away. Paul and his fellow prisoners, the soldiers, the centurions, even the sailors, the hardened sailors, all hope was gone. In fact, if we could think of it in a movie or something like that, and, and certainly familiar, you could imagine the camera panning and sweeping across the deck, and everybody's face is somber, their, their, their moods are low, some are just slumping against the rail, they're hardly looking up, many of them are, they're, they're downcast, little interaction, little talk is happening and everybody is just this is it. They're resigned to their fate. All hope was gone. Uh, there's no chance for them to victoriously land where they were hoping to. There's no chance for them to make it through. That's literally what is transpiring in the story. If it was a Hollywood movie, there'd be some nice solemn music playing in the background. And to kind of gets you in the emotional feel of it. That things were headed wrong. This could be the end of the story. The ship could go down. All these lives could be lost. Then in the silence of that picture, here stands up this prisoner. Maybe he still had chains attached and, and he just kind of clings and he stands and he, and, and he stands up and he speaks up and it is Paul. And he looks at all those around him, the fellow prisoners and the soldiers and the centurion and, and those people, the sailors, the shipmen. He looks at them and he, he basically says something to the effect of this. I exhort you, and literally what he says, I exhort you to be of good cheer. I told you before in this story, I love this part. Everybody's downcast. Everybody says the the, the worst is going to happen. Paul stands up and he says what? Let's be happy. Be of good cheer. I mean, like, who is this crazy nut? Who is this prisoner? Be of good cheer. And he goes on and he says this in verse 22. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship, basically. Now listen. He stands there, says, hey, this looks terrible. I mean, the end looks horrible. It looks like we have no hope, and they, they we have no hope. None of them thought they had hope. He stands up, be a good cheer. Hey, it's, we're going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. We may lose the ship, but we're going to be fine. And then he proceeds to tell them that last night, the angel of the Lord appeared to me, and he said, listen, uh, God wants you to appear before Caesar, so he's going to take care of you. He's going to protect you and make sure you get there. And in fact, not just you, he's going to allow everybody on that ship to be safe they're going to arrive safely too, but you're going to lose the ship. Now listen to me, friend. In that moment, you know what God was declaring to Paul? You're going to be victorious over this very difficult situation. This situation, this, uh, this predicament you're in, that there is no hope. You have no hope. In fact, Paul, if you were left to yourself, and you men and sailors, you could not get out of this. There is no hope for victory, no hope for success, but God's going to give it to you. And here in, that, in this moment of his grand story is where Paul utters some of the most wonderful words I think are written in Scripture, certainly written in the book of Acts. He says this in verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, after God, the angel of the Lord appeared to me, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God. I'm gonna take his word. He said I have victory, and it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it's gonna happen, but I'm believing God. And he said that it shall be even as it was told me. I want to challenge you this morning. You know what Paul does from this moment on? He he demonstrates and experiences victory-infused living and labor. Here's what's amazing about this story. Some days pass. In fact, um, uh, soon the ship comes near to the shore of of some land. At midnight, the shipmen recognize, okay, there's some land over here. And they start uh, finding the depth of the water. They don't want to run upon rocks. They don't want uh, this to crash near the side of an island and and so forth. And so they start doing it. At first, it comes up 20 fathoms. And so they go a little bit further. And uh, soon after, they find out the depth of it is at 15 fathoms. They don't want to go any further. They're scared that, that the wind's going to take them, the waves, and run them up off on the shore and rocks, maybe a hidden reef or whatever the case may be. And so they decide to put down the anchors. Now listen, this is where the story gets really good. You don't want to miss this. We might put in a commercial break just to make you come back. No. Um, you don't want to miss this. Okay, this is great. So they, they, put, they go to the uh, they go to Stern and they put down the anchors. In fact, three or four of the anchors, they put them down. This is the shipmen, the sailors. And then they say, okay, we're going to go to the, uh, to the forest ship and we're going to put down the other anchors now here's where it gets interesting they say that but that's not their plan that land has been sighted, and so they're putting down these anchors so the ship says oh yeah we're going up here we're going to put down these anchors and when everybody thinks they're putting down the anchors you know what they do? they put down the little escape boat They let it down into the water. And their plan is, we're not putting down the anchors. We're getting out of here. We're leaving these prisoners and these soldiers and this centurion to fend for themselves. It's every man for himself. And their plan is just to jump over the ship, get in that boat, and get to land. Them, the sailors, the experienced one, the professionals. What's amazing is Paul gets wind of it. I think it was the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit put in his heart and mind. We don't know for sure. And Paul goes up to the centurion. and goes, excuse me, sir. Okay, maybe not exactly, but something like that. Hey, it, you know what those guys are doing? They're putting down the boat, and they're going to try to leave us. And he says this literally. You can ch- check the text. He says, listen, if they do that, none of us will be saved. Now, that might get your attention, amen? If you let that happen, we're all dead, and that centurion, I love this. Could you imagine Centurion centurion? Hey, you guys, stop right now. And they're like, oh boy. Centurion and the soldiers come over. Centurion goes, what are you guys doing? Um, we're putting down the anchor? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. He looks over the thing. There's the rope holding the boat. This is great. Ah, better than Hollywood. He says, you, cut that rope. The sailor's are like, no, no, stop, what? No, you can't do it, no. And one of those soldiers, and there all of a sudden that boat just floats away their last hope in their mind now that's quite the story so far isn't it that'll keep you coming back next week for the next installment hey it's a great story So what happens, and you're like, ah, they're upset, and you can see the soldiers are mad at the sailors, now they're not trusting each other, because listen, they ruined their plan of escape, and man, this is, oh man, that that ship is just in great turmoil, great problems, and uh, you can imagine what's going to happen now. Well, there were some who didn't listen to Paul, when he said, hey, let's be of good cheer. God has told me we're all going to be safe, they didn't believe it. In fact, uh, they didn't live in light of the promised victory we might put in. Rather, they thought they were likely going to perish, that this was going to end terribly, or at the very least, they just weren't sure what was going to happen, but they certainly didn't believe Paul. In fact, Paul says that for 14 days, many of them fasted. No doubt they prayed to false gods, and they were just hoping, I I can't eat, I'm so worried about uh, what's going to happen. And Paul's over here, and what's Paul doing? Stuff in his face. Why? Because he believes there's victory. Hey, you know what? If we're going to be in the water and and we're going to go on this journey, I need to eat. I need to take strength. I I need to feed my body. I'm not being facetious, friend. Let me tell you, when you know victory's coming, you can live like victory's coming. That's what Paul is saying. And there's some who didn't get that. In fact, he speaks up again. Paul does. He says, listen, you guys got to eat. You gotta take some bread, you gotta take some meat, you gotta have your strength, because soon this ship's gonna be falling apart and you and I are gonna be casting the water, and we need to make it to that to that island once it does so. You know what he did, and I love this. He took bread and he stood before all those men and he started praying to God. And I love this. He says, Thank you for the bread. Father, thank you for the victory you're gonna give us. You've already promised us. Everybody looking at each other it's like, man, this guy really believes it. <laughs> He's living, he's laboring, like he's got the victory, and here we're on the ship, we're being tossed to and fro, and it sure doesn't feel like we're victorious, but he believes that, and he takes that, and and and, and let's step back a second, reality is this, we get it, what's Paul experiencing, well, he's experiencing in this situation, victory infused, living and labor. That's how he's living. Many of the others on board, they looked at him and thought he was crazy. They chose to live in light of likely defeat, what it looked like. Others weren't sure what to think. They held back from buying in all the way to what Paul said. They hoped for victory. Maybe they even entertained the thought a little bit, but they hesitated and stumbled at living like the victory was a sure thing the way Paul did. But you know what the neat thing is? Paul and how he lived started having a huge impact and effect on the people on that ship. As he ate and then he started handing out meat and bread and, and he starts to encourage them, hey, it's going to be fine. God's promised us the victory. We're all going to land safe. You, 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 you. We're all going to be safe. Trust in God. And man, you know what the verse says And verse 36 tells us this. Then were they all of good cheer. And they also took some meat is it an amazing impact? An influence? I mean, what were the sailors just trying to do? Escape. They're trying to get out of there. Now the Bible says they were all of good cheer. He had a great impact on them. You know how many people you say, well, this, this just must have been 10, 12, 15 people. You know what the Bible tells us? I believe it's verse 37. It says there's 276 people on this boat. That's a pretty good boat, isn't it? For a good number of people. 276 maybe around what we have here even today. Could you imagine all of us on the boat? Who would you be pushing to get out? Just kidding, don't do that. To escape. and Hey, that's about what we might have here. Can you imagine that many people? So we're not talking a small group of prisoners, a few soldiers, a centurion, and three or four sailors. We're talking a, pardon the pun, a boatload of people. A bunch of people. It's interesting. That ship they take up the anchors and they're going to allow it to, uh, the, the wind and the, the, the waves to take them wherever it may to try to get closer to land. They're, they're going to try to find a place to run it in, a creek. In fact, the, the scriptures speak of that, to run it up and, and do so. And, and that's essentially what happens. They run it up on some rocks and the front gets stuck, uh, the front of the boat. So you can imagine what this was like. And they ran that boat up, the front of the boat is stuck, and yet the waves are beating the back of the boat so terribly that it begins disintegrating. And you, maybe you've seen a movie. But you read a book about it and how, how, how that just, boy, that, those waves beat on it. And board by board, it starts to fall away. Literally, I think it's uh, verse 41 here. The hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. Could you imagine what that would have been like? The story goes on to tell us that they begin jumping in. First of all, some of the soldiers wanted to start killing the prisoners. We don't want them escaping. So the says, no, 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 I don't do that. And, and so it, those who could swim, they just start jumping into the water. Others tried to grab a board or a piece of the broken ship so they could cling to that so that it, hopefully the waves would take them into shore. And I mean, this is utter chaos. We can imagine what it must have been like. The chaos and terror of 276 people abandoning ship by jumping in the water, trying to make it to shore by whatever means they could find. Man, what a scene that would have been. Could you imagine if you and I and all of us here were on a board of ship and We had to get off. Some of us no doubt can swim. Some may not be able to. What's truly amazing is the second half of verse 44. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. So it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Wow. It's unheard of. You know, if a ship went down today with 276 people, uh, even though there may be other ships around and they didn't have that, though there may be people on land trying to help, they didn't have that. The people helped them after they landed on and started fires and things like that. But no one was there to help. All 700, 276 people on board made it safely to land. I don't know about you, but I think just about from any perspective, we call that a victory. Call that a victory. You know what's amazing in that thought, that miraculous victory, I think there's something even more amazing in it. Listen to me. Don't miss it. I think what's even more amazing than maybe that miraculous event, that there was one man on that ship of 276 that said this, I'm going to believe God, and I'm going to live and labor like he's given the victory. I'm going to help them to eat. I'm going to make sure that they get food and, and bread and meat and I, I, so that they're ready to go. I'm going to trust God. And there was Paul experiencing and displaying and demonstrating a conduct that was a victory-infused living and labor. Now, you know, here's what's amazing. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth can only imagine that uh, somewhere along the way that, that uh, sorry, that story probably uh, did not necessarily happen. Um, some believe that he wrote Corinthians before he was on that trip. But could you imagine, uh, whatever the case, whatever the chronological order here, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul is writing some great truths that would have come to mind about this victory-infused living and labor. Notice with me, that's page 686, if you're using a pew Bible. Look with me at verse 51. Notice verse 51, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Verse 54, so when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in, what's the next word? Victory. Man, great passage. I mean, Paul's writing about future victory in the reality. We'll see it expounded upon here. But it's a great promise. I don't know about you, but I long for the day that this corruption will put on incorruption, that this mortal will put on immortality. I look forward to that. Whether it be in the rapture and Christ returning or it be through death, the reality is we are going to be changed. And oh, what a day that will be. Free of sin and free of pain and hurt and and so forth. My goodness, that that is something to look forward to. And that is the encouragement. And yet the best news comes at the end. Death is swallowed up in victory. Good old death. And would you consider this morning this reality? Just like that ship and that wave just like a rockladon had done great damage and was threatening to just tear that ship apart, take their lives. Can I tell you this morning, may I remind you this morning that death had you in a death grip. Death had you and I over a barrel. Death had us down for the eight count. Death Had you and I by the throat and was squeezing the very last breath out of us, knowing that the very last breath we take here on earth, death would have the victory. You think on that for a moment? How close you and I were. If we've already trusted in Jesus Christ, the reality is we were this close, one breath away from utter defeat at the hands of death. That's what Paul's writing here. Death has us in the cross hairs. you're here today, and you have yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, can I tell you, my friend, death has you. You're in the hand of death. It will win the victory unless you trust in Jesus Christ. Death. It's guaranteed. The victory, unless you trust in Him. If you really think about it, if you really consider it truthfully. Death is just a moment away from totally defeating us and gaining the resounding victory over each of us as we would have to spend eternity in the lake of fire. H- have you ever heard this phrase? I- I- and many of the hymn writers grasped this passage and this truth. Have you ever heard this phrase, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat? the idea of boy everything looked terrible and boy defeat was just sitting there and and we were i mean we were we were signing off on defeat and and uh, boy but victory was snatched from the jaws of defeat and and i uh, many of you, you you might think of that phrase and you might think of an instance of, yeah that was when that happened i i can't man that maybe it's a favorite team whatever the case may be and you remember when victory was snatched from the jaws of defeat i'll tell you immediately when i think of this phrase now this is funny immediately i think uh, of a certain date. I think of October 17th and really 2015. There was a football game being played and the home team was well on their way. It literally, the fans of the home team was celebrating, and the whole auditorium, or excuse me, not auditorium, the whole uh, the whole um, football stadium, they were celebrating, and, and the victory was imminent. They knew it was going to happen. Just a few seconds to tick off the clock was all that needed to take place. The visiting team, their few friends in the stands, they were all depressed and discouraged. In fact, they were taking heat from the opposing fans and everything else, and, and uh, that rambunction home crowd was letting them hear it everybody was preparing for uh, the celebration on the one hand the other team and their fans were were preparing for a long ride home as losers in fact at that moment with those few seconds left on the clock there was a 0.2 percent chance of the team that was down winning in fact here's the funny part about it this annual clash on the football gridiron these teams the winning team always got a trophy The team that was losing had the trophy from the year before, and they had already sent it to the opposing sideline to get ready for the celebration. It was going over there, it was there, they were ready to run on the field with it and everything else. You know what the name of that trophy was? The Paul Bunyan Trophy. You know who that's awarded to? The winner of the University of Michigan and Michigan State football game. You know the story well. If you're a fan, if you don't, let me remind you. Much to the chagrin of the University of Michigan fans. Wolverines had it. Man, victory is right here. All they had to do was punt the ball away, let the few seconds run off the clock, and boy, they were celebrating Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken, and I very well could be. I think Michigan State at that point was undefeated in the season. And if I'm not mistaken, Michigan had one loss. And boy, if you can stick it to your undefeated opponents, that would be great. Amen? So the Wolverines were excited, boy, this is going to happen. And you know it well, they muffed the punt. Michigan State gets the ball with time expiring. They score, and the iconic view is of that Michigan student like this. Check it out, it's out there. Yeah, you say, Pastor, this is church. I'm a University of Michigan fan. You're supposed to encourage me, not rub salt in my wounds. I, I, tell you, I remember that. I'm not a Michigan fan, a, a Michigan State fan per se. I, I root for them because I live in Michigan, but reality is this. I, I, that, But you know what I remember? Boy, that is snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. Now, listen to me. We have that in mind. We can understand that. We grasp what that felt like. Whoa, if you're a fan either way. Oh, listen to me. You and I, as sinners, death had victory over us. And I'm telling you, friend, it would only take a last breath from any of us. And death had the victory. Just as easily if that Wolverine could have punted that ball away, it was a done deal. Now I want to tell you, my friend, I want you to understand what even Paul in this passage is speaking of. The fact is this. The day came. The moment came where death, hell, Satan, his legions were just about to have a raucous celebration that you and I would be separated from God for all of eternity. That was his plan in the Garden of Eden. He wanted to drive a wedge between Adam and Eve and God. The Creator and the creation. About to have that victory over us. About to win. But then Jesus Christ came along. And Paul says in this passage, don't miss it. Paul says in this passage, you can look at verse fifty-seven. I love this. He says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we're there. We are, I mean, we're on that precipice of defeat. We're, we're, we're those Michigan State fans that have already turned over the, the trophy. I mean, we're, it's a dead deal. It's a done deal in our minds. Just like those sailors on that boat with, with Paul. No, I, you're crazy, Paul. We'll never get out of this. We're going to die on this, on this water and in this ship. It's not going to happen. Oh, my friend, how quickly, how quickly, spiritually, it went from a grand victory celebration among death and sin and Satan and his legions to a grand victory. In heaven, among God and Jesus Christ and the angels. Do you realize in that moment, death did not, no longer a defeat for you and I? You know what death is to us now? It's victory. It's victory. Death, how does the Bible describe it? When a believer, when, when a child of God dies, it's precious in the eyes of God. How in the world does that become precious? I'll tell you how, but thanks be to Jesus Christ, who gives us, us the victory. We have the victory now. Man, what a great truth. You know, on that day, as that game, that clock expired, and everybody's stunned, at least if you're blue and maize, right? green and white you're celebrating everything you know that day boy those some of those michigan state fans they just let the other team hear it they had heard it for several quarters and boy they just hear you know what is even more amazing even in our church the next day there were some uh, michigan state fans giving it to u of m fans i know that's hard to believe that christians do that but rubbing it in their face did you see that game last night be quiet i don't want to talk to you in a good christian loving way <laughs> I mean, rubbing it in. Now, listen to me. I I say that because I honestly believe here Paul kind of rubs it in a little bit. I do. In a good spiritual way. Notice what he says. Look at, uh, if you will, verse number 55. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? Hey, death is swallowed up in victory, verse 54. And he says, listen, okay, hey, hey, Mr. Death, where's your sting now, big guy? Jesus Christ has taken away that. ah, There's no sting. Death, there's no victory. We've got the victory now. And I'll tell you, my friend, thanks to Jesus Christ, just like those Wolverine fans were quiet in those next couple days, can I tell you? The devil's quiet. Because there's no victory now. Death has no victory. I was listening to a message this week and just a tremendous illustration that that moved me. And I trust it'll do the same for you. There was a mother and two little children out in the garden. They were out in the backyard, and they were tending to flowers and things like that. And two young children and, and the mom. And they're working around. Beautiful day, summer day. And all of a sudden, as they're working out in the garden there, a, a, little, a little fuzzball and, and a bumblebee, you know, black and gold, started just flying around. And the children are kind of looking at it. And they're still mom's still working, kind of oblivious to it. And all of a sudden, that bumblebee just kind of flies around, and it, it lights right there on the little boy's hand. And before you know it, the little boy's a little scared and all of a sudden that bumblebee just stings that boy. And immediately that blood curling screams comes out of that little boy and just a few years of age. And, and boy, he's grabbing his hand. Oh, and mom runs over. And, and in that moment, boy, he, he, he starts. mom starts to console and starts to comfort and starts to encourage that little boy. Hey, it's okay. What happened? And, oh my goodness. And, and boy, she just starts loving on that little boy, trying to help him make it feel better. Oh honey, I'm so sorry. And at the same time, the little girl's still over here and she's just kind of like this. And all of a sudden, as mom's comforting, and consoling the little boy, the little girl starts, ah, ah, starts screaming, ah, ah. And, and mom, mom has to leave the little boy and say, honey, what's wrong, what's wrong? And she's like, mom, mom the bubble, he's still flying around, he, he's gonna get me. And, oh, honey, no, 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 no. You don't need to worry about that, come here. She takes the little girl over and she grabs the little boy's hand. She goes, look here, honey. There in that little welt, was that Bumblebee's stinger? Mom says, Listen, listen. You see that Bumblebee? He can't he can't sting you any longer. See his stinger's right here. He, he stung, brother, and he can't get you now. He's harmless to you. May I tell you, Christian, death stung Jesus Christ at Calvary. It can't still sting you anymore. Can't? There's no reason for you and I to be scared of death. There's no reason for you and I to dread it and fear it and think, oh, this is... No, no, no. Listen, my friend. Death is swallowed up in victory. I'm thankful that it can't sting you and I anymore that have trusted in him. Could we put it this way? And here's the point that Paul gets to in the passage. You and I were victors we're victorious we're guaranteed the victory now in christ we haven't yet experienced the full completion of it we are like paul in this ship known as life it's being tossed to and from it and we can't see it all the way and we see death all around us and we think well i don't know do i really have the victory and paul's saying oh yes you're victorious you have victory in jesus christ the final whistle, when it blows, my friend, you'll find out that you and I are victors. And what does Paul say? If you are victorious, or if you are victors, then you and I should live and labor like it. We're to live and labor like we are victorious. And that's his point here in this passage. We are to be like Paul as he was on the ship on his way to Rome. He was given the guarantee of victory, and he acted upon that. He lived and labored like a victor. And that's the call to each one of us here today. Look at verse 58, if you will, with me. Therefore, based upon what I have just shared with you and this victory we have over death, and death doesn't have sting for any of us anymore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor labor is not in vain in the Lord what a great truth, friend. Therefore, based on this truth and this reality that we stand victorious, uh, you and I ought to be, what does it say? Be steadfast. Uh, We don't have time. I I did did a message a year and a half ago, I think on a Sunday night, about this verse. And so we won't uh, redo it. But the reality is steadfast. It literally has the picture in the Greek of sitting down and try to move me now steadfast you, you're not going to move me from the will of god you're not going to w- move me from what i know god wants me to be doing in this life because listen death you don't have victory over me anymore christ has given me the victory and i'm going to live and labor for him i'm steadfast and then he adds another word very similar with more intensity and he says listen be unmovable be unmovable Then he adds even more. In the next description, uh, as we are to live and labor like the victor we are, he says, be abounding in the work of the Lord. Serve the Lord in this life like you know that death has no sting, that death doesn't have the victory. But you do in Christ. You say, well, what does he mean by that? What's, what's the application? Well, here's the reality and don't miss it today. This is what he's saying in verse 58. He's saying this. This is the point. If death was victorious, any living and laboring you do for the Lord on earth would be in vain. It will not help you in hell to raise up your head and say, listen, hey, I taught Sunday school. I handed out tracts. I went to church every Sunday. I live this way and I try to do this. My friend, it's going to be in vain if death has the victory. But praise be to God, death is swallowed up in victory. Death in the grave, they don't have sting anymore. They have no victory, friend. And so the point is the other way. If we have victory through Jesus Christ, then all that is done for Christ in this life is magnified and rewarded in the next. If you have the vicar, you ought to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Verse that comes to play, certainly. In fact, let me back up. The world looks at us and says, man, the way you live your life, that's a waste of life. You go to church on Sunday? You spend time reading the Bible and, and, and witnessing and you do all these things trying to follow the Bible? Man, that is a waste of life. That's in vain. You know why the world would say that? Because they think death has victory. And it doesn't. No, for you and I, Jesus Christ has won us the victory. It's not just that it's not in vain, but it is the most productive and rewarding way that you can spend this life is being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The book of Revelation, which ends, and I don't believe, certainly it's by coincidence, I think it's by inspiration of God and the Holy Spirit. The book of Revelation that ends our canon of Scriptures. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus Christ says this, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Christ says it. It's there. It's in other passages throughout the Scripture. This reality, how I live my life, now takes on so much more meaning and importance because why? I am a victor in Jesus Christ. I am victorious. Victory in Jesus. We sing it all the time. Do you really live it? Do you labor like it? Because now this life has taken on so much more importance and so much more meaning. Because the reality is, if death wins, everything I've done for Christ is in vain. But if Christ has won and I have the victory, then this life is to be lived for Him. And I ought to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are you? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Focus on that word abounding this morning. And in light of that word, could I ask you to consider a simple but poignant question as we bring the sermon to close? It's this, are, are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Now listen, before you answer that question, understand that this word has the idea of exceeding the basic requirements. It is the idea of overflowing, overdoing something. Is that what you do? Do you abound in the work of the Lord? You overflow, you exceed the minimum requirements. May, I, may you give me the privilege of reading for you something I read this week. A commentator wrote this, and I think it's so well put in description of this. Listen carefully. He says, What a word Paul gives to the countless Christians who work and pray and give and suffer as little as they can. How can we be satisfied with the trivial, insignificant, short-lived things of this world? How can we, quote-unquote, take it easy when so many around us are dead spiritually and so many fellow believers are in need of edification, encouragement, and help of every sort? When can a Christian say, quote-unquote, I've served my time, I've done my part, let others do the work now. He goes on, reasonable rest is important and necessary, but if we err, Paul is saying that it should be on the side of doing much more work for the Lord, not less. Leisure and relaxation are two great modern idols to which many Christians seem quite willing to bow down. In proper proportion, recreation and diversions can help restore our energy and increase our effectiveness. But they also can easily become ends in themselves demanding more and more of our attention, concern, time, and energy. And he makes this last statement and I think it is convicting and it probes the heart. He says, more than one believer has relaxed... And hobbied himself completely out of the work of the Lord. Don't be that Christian friend. You are a victor. You are victorious. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yesterday, permit me, yesterday we had our prison ministry. Brother Tony and I had the privilege of preaching there, (laughs) Uh, and exciting times. We love it, preaching. We had five or six people raise their hand for salvation, 10 or 12 make other decisions. So praise the Lord for that. We were preaching. I preached the first session, about 45 minutes to an hour long. There, I get to preach as long as I want. (laughs) So I take as long as I want. as long as the Holy Spirit leads. And then Brother Tony came up, did a great job, as he and Brother Aaron do all the time, and others who go up with us. And, and he preached, did a great message, boy, good response, and so forth. Well, normally it's two to three groups, and they bring them in 10 to 12 at a time, and they have to keep some separated if they're co-defendants and things. It's really hard at times and things like that. Anyway, so honestly, I, I, after preaching, I wasn't feeling well. I had a migraine that had started, and I have not been feeling well the last few days. And, 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 and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to my, and literally, Brother Tony's bringing it to a close, and I'm thinking, oh, I just do not feel like preaching another session I, I just my body doesn't feel like it and and I, I literally I start praying to the Lord I said Lord man I sure would like it if this would be the last group and I could just rest and and get get a breather before the next thing on the agenda of the day of Saturday and and Lord I just don't feel like it. you know how I feel and I've been trying to serve you we had just you know in my own mind reason I said but Lord if you want me to preach and there's somebody that needs to hear something uh give me the grace and strength it's you it's not me well, the very next thing is they came and grabbed that group, and the guy goes, I'm bringing the next group in. I said, okay, Lord, got your answer. Start getting ready, and we did, and what's interesting, they brought a group in, and immediately I recognized a young 19-year-old man, and, and I recognized him because the chaplain had mentioned right before we started any of the sessions, he says, listen, there's a 19-year-old young man here, and he's an Amish and and he's been questioning his faith. He's been talking to uh, the chaplain and others who worked there and he's just questioning God. He's questioning everything he's been taught and everything he's learned and, and uh, I recognized him immediately by his haircut and things like that and he comes in and sits down and, and, and a message that I've shared with you folks I shared a version of it in a sense and and just talked about our identification of Christ and our relationship and the Lord really blessed, the Holy Spirit worked and at the end we we talked about how to get saved and and led them if they'd like to in a, a a simple prayer of trust in Christ. And can I tell you, my friend, uh, at the end we ask, uh, have any of you prayed that prayer and you trusted in Christ today? And that young man raised his hand. And I'll tell you, my friend, uh, the chaplain was on cloud nine. I got texts last night from folks who are associated with that. They've been praying for him, and, and they themselves had been working and sowing seed and so forth. Can I tell you, my friend, listen to me. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't give less, give more. Paul said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. And I'll tell you, friend, it's not easy sometimes. It's uncomfortable at times. It, we're tired, we're exhausted, and so forth. That's, those are the moments where you and I need to say, okay, Lord, it's not me, it's you. Work through me. I need your strength. I need your grace. One of the phrases I love is just simply this. Keep on keeping on. Be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. May I ask you a simple question as we bring this to a close and we head into our invitation. Is your living and your labor infused with victory today? Do you live and labor victoriously? And then the bottom question that encapsulates it all, are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Are you abounding? Not just are you meeting minimal requirements and you're meeting the basic list and you're doing a few things here and there, but are you abounding in the work of the Lord? May I challenge you this morning, may I put before you that some of us this morning need to ask God to forgive us for not abounding in his work. We need to confess that we haven't been living like victors, that rather we've been living defeated lives, doing nothing for the next. Others of us need to pray and ask for strength and grace to keep on keeping on. Father, help me to be steadfast in your work. Help me to be unmovable in my service for you. Help me to continue to abound. Don't let me worry what others are doing. Don't let me compare and say, well, they're not doing it. They're doing this. Don't let me compare. Father, don't let me get discouraged about the results here on earth. Well, no one's getting saved. No one's doing this. It doesn't seem like my service matters. Don't let me. Help me not to give a half effort in serving you, but work in me to abound in your work that you have called me to here on earth. And Father, I want to hear upon your return to earth, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, work in me to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. I want to be that Christian. How about it, friend? Father, I thank you so very much for your word this morning. I thank you for the challenge that this study, this passage has been to me. And Father, thank you for the example of Paul in many areas, in many ways in his life, not just this story, but others, that he was steadfast and unmovable, that he lived and labored like a victor. Lord, forgive me for my faults. Forgive me for my failures when I have not done so. Lord, work in our hearts your children here. May we be desirous to abound in your work. May we not get distracted by hobbies and other pursuits. May may we not allow leisure and recreation to crowd out what you have called us to do. And Lord, though we may be tired, maybe though we may be worn out at times, help us to keep on keeping on for you. Help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work. Lord, I pray that in this invitation, you do work. That you'd work in our hearts and our lives. You'd speak to us and challenge us and Grow us. And Lord, I pray this week we look forward to abounding in Your work. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask You,